This morning, we're continuing this series, short series, on basics of repentance. And the reason why we're doing this series is because this is a time when we focus on repentance. We focus on repentance with Rosh Hashanah, with Yom Kippur. The high holidays cannot fully be understood or appreciated unless, unless we understand what repentance is all about. Last week, I talked about recognizing who God is. Recognizing for God, for who God actually is, not just for who you think he is. You know, it's important. A lot of people go around and they really make gods of their own. They're not really following or understanding or worshiping the God of the scriptures. And so this morning, let's keep in mind that everything we're talking about is related to the God of the scriptures, who he is, not who we want him to be. All right? Now, uh, one, the very, if we recognize who God is, a great and holy and awesome God, creator of all that exists, I think it's important for us to compare ourselves with him. When we compare ourselves with other people, depending on who we compare ourselves with, we feel pretty good about ourselves. All right? If, uh, if I had to compare my, my guitar playing uh, with Jordan's guitar playing or my piano playing with Morgan's piano playing, I would be pretty lousy. Okay? But if I compare my singing to my wife's singing, I feel really good about myself. <clears throat> No, 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 it's a family joke. We all know it. All right. When we think about our sinfulness, we tend to think about more sinful people. And that's not a proper scriptural understanding. We tend to want to think better about ourselves by comparing ourselves with really bad people. We're going to see a short video. We're going to see a short video that I think illustrates... The difficulty we have with, uh, with coming clean and fessing up before God, and it has to do with shame. What did you do? Huh? Do you have any remorse? What did you do? What did you do, dog? Oh my gosh, you made a hole in the door. I think you did it. Was it you? Did you, you tore this up? Yeah, it was. It was you. What is this? You know if there's a bad round dog that did it? Who's hiding behind here? Was this you? What a bad boy. How about you, mister? Did you destroy a pillow that wasn't yours? Were you bad? What have you done, Buck? Buck. Bad boy. And here's what Berlin did today. And when she was questioned about it, she's now holding out in the shower. She's praying that we <laughs> blame somebody else. Did you get on the counter and get those cookies, Libby? What's wrong? What'd you do, Rousey? You get in the garbage. Yeah, come here. Who peed over here? Well, I guess that answers that. <laughs> okay. I saw that video and I'm like, that's an excellent video for this sermon. Especially the last one. The last one. 
You know, I mean, the dog, two dogs, and of course the guilty dog leaves the scene, all right? This morning we're going to be looking at what sin is, all right, and who we are. We are sinful. The second step of repentance is to uh, confess, admit our sinfulness, your sinfulness, my sinfulness. It's not just the other person, it's my sin. Do you understand that you are sinful? If you say, yes, I know I'm sinful, do you understand the depth of your own depravity? The depth of your own depravity. As Jewish people, you know, my father's side, German Jews, all right? My grandfather studied in Berlin before the war. The Germans were the pinnacle of intellectualism. Who would have thought they would do what they did at the very, at the very top of their intellectual institutions Their deprived minds went mad and they orchestrated the slaughter of millions of our people and millions of other people. I'm sure they didn't think they were that bad. Depravity. We are depraved. Going to look at some verses to discuss this, but my hope this morning is that as we Go through this that you will not be like the dogs on the screen who just, they looked ashamed. But instead, you will simply admit easily your sinfulness. Especially as we go into this period now of of the high holiday season, that it's easy for you to accept your own sinfulness, your own depravity, and be rejoicing in the fact that even though you are, that the Lord your God has forgiven you through your faith in Messiah Yeshua. We're starting in the book of Genesis, at the beginning, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis starts off, everything's great in the garden. Adam and Eve, they bite the uh, the pomegranate, everything goes south from there. They get kicked out of the garden. When you study the first couple of chapters of Genesis, you see how things go from bad to worse to really bad and to really worse, okay? Doesn't take very long. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Page 5 in the Congregational Tanakh. It says, Now when humankind began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them, then the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were good, and they took for themselves wives, any they chose. Then Adonai said, My spirit will not remain with humankind forever, since they are flesh, so their days will be 120 years. And then skip to verse 5. Then Adonai saw that the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil all the time. People make a lot out of this because it's a reference to Nephilim. I think what they should do is forget about the word Nephilim, take a mirror, look at themselves, and God says, I am depraved. <laughs> That's the point of this text. That's the point of the text. This text very clearly says, we are wicked that mankind's wickedness comes out of our hearts every inclination of our thoughts. Now, maybe not every inclination, every thought all the time, but do we recognize our own depravity, the, the depth of our own sinfulness? First, man is terminally sinful by nature. This is important. Man is terminally sinful by nature. Don't look at that as being, oh, terminal means I can't correct it, right? No, no, no. Terminally sinful means that we recognize that, that because when Adam and Eve did in the garden, 
that it set mankind in a particular trajectory that makes it impossible for us to redeem ourselves. We are sinful and we are controlled by our sinfulness. And this displeases God. Okay? So really, the whole point I'm trying to make in this first point is because of the terminal nature of our sinfulness, we displease God. Your sin may be nothing more than you steal pencils on the job or you say white lies. You don't ever hurt anybody publicly. But in the core of your heart, you hold grudges. That displeases God. Or you intentionally, but you don't mean to, but you still do, you say things about other people to hurt them. You don't kill anybody. But the key point is we are terminally sinful. The biblical text from Genesis all the way to Revelation really points out the fact that we just sin and that this sin displeases God. And it doesn't have to be murder that displeases God. It can be gossip that displeases God. It doesn't have to be adultery that displeases God. It can just be looking at pornography or staring too long at an individual walking down the road. Take a look at Psalm 14. Psalm 14. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. This is quoted in the book of Romans later on, some of this. But Psalm 14, page 626. 626. Starts off by saying, uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. First of all, it's a statement in regards to an atheistic belief. It's not a wise person that determines that there is no God, it's a fool. It's a person that is short of proper understanding. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Adonai looked down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside, became corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Again, another verse speaking of this terminal, sinful nature. But at the same time, there seems to be an understanding that choice is involved here as well. You know, not only are we sinful because Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, they sinned and we are their descendants and sin is therefore just part of our makeup, unfortunately. But the truth is we choose to sin. Even, even when we don't want to, we still inevitably struggle. There was something I read. I, I mean, I, it's something I heard. I did not read it. I was looking for the resource. Couldn't find it. But, uh, but uh, there was a study that was done when uh, recently 10 people in a room and when it came to stealing something, if they could get away with stealing something, two people just would never do it. Two people would never do it. If I'm not mistaken, it was six people basically would struggle and two people would do it all the time. <laughs> 20% of society would steal from you if they just had the opportunity. 20% of society would just steal from you if they just had the opportunity. 60% would steal from you if, if, 
it, they found it justifiable in their own mind in a sense. Okay? They wavered. Only 20% would never take anything from anybody. <laughs> a little scary. You know, in Hebrew tradition, Jewish tradition, we talk about Yetzirah and Yetzirah Tov. Okay? The Yetzirah, it's the inclination to do bad, to do evil, and the inclination to do good. In many ways, I like the concept of Yetzirah and Yetzirah Tov because even people that are not believers in Yeshua have inclinations to do good. I think sometimes the Christian concept of original sin, uh, the way some people articulate it, I think it goes too far. All right? People debate it. But what we do know from the scriptures is in the book of Judges, people tend to do what is right in their own eyes. Do you do what is right in your own eyes? Doing what is right in our own eyes is not really God's way of doing things. Book of Judges, the whole point of the book is that the people, they didn't do what God wanted, they kind of did what they thought was right. People can choose to do right over wrong. I think people can, do, can choose to do right over wrong. Uh, you know, the statistic, 1% of, of young people today uh, have some kind of a, of a biblical worldview or, a, you know, something that would allow one to say, well, they might be actual followers of Messiah Yeshua. 1%. Yet 2 out of 10 would never steal. They know to do right. Their parents said, what is right and what is wrong? 20%. So people can choose to do right over wrong. But what the 80% in this one study I I heard about, 80% will choose to do what works for them. Works for them at the moment, which is wrong. You go to the grocery store, they give you more change than you, you should be getting. You get more change than you should be getting and you say, look at that. A gift from heaven. But it's stealing. Taking something which is not rightfully yours. Most people are members of the religion of pragmatism. Are you a member of the religion of pragmatism? Pragmatism, an approach that assesses the truth of meaning, of theories, or beliefs in terms of the success of their practical application. I think too many of us as Messianic Jews, this is the way we operate, especially when it comes to Jewish tradition and things. We're just pragmatic. What works for us, we don't think about the greater realities. But when it comes to your faith in God, you know, your obedience to God's instructions, we're pragmatic. We don't give like we should. We don't serve like we should. We don't, we're not involved in the lives of people like we should because we're just part of the religion of pragmatism. The other, if you're not part of the, and you could be, you know, have a pantheon of religious beliefs, you could also be part of the faith of expediency. The faith of expediency. Expediency is the quality of being convenient or practical despite possibly being improper or immoral. Expediency. What is easy? We have to be very careful because this is sin. It's sin by choice. We're choosing what is expedient or what is pragmatic over what is clearly written in God's instructions. It's sin. People avoid godlessness or godliness, I'm sorry, because it interferes with the way they want to live. 
unless you really say, I want to live out radical faith, going back to that Christian video, unless you really want to live out radical faith, you're living a, a life of, of really a, of a pragmatic or a conveniency in terms of your relationship with God. Doesn't this, it doesn't please him. And we have to take that seriously. God always, I mean, following God is not easy. Messiah Yeshua said, wide is the path and easy the way that leads to what? Destruction. Hard is the way and narrow it is and few that find it that lead to life. You know, I am moving all these books, 15 hours in Milwaukee to move all these books. <clears throat> and so I got three movers to help me, all right? Nice guys, really nice guys. And there's this one kid uh, who was helping, an 18-year-old kid who was helping me. He should have been in school, but he wasn't in school because he's doing what's easy. He's making quick money moving my boxes. And I'm saying to him, wow, you know, you're 18, yeah, make sure you graduate high school, and then you, you really should go to college or trade school. How many of you who are, who are older would, would say, yeah, I wish I'd worked harder on things that now are, I know are more important when I was younger? Make sure you tell that to the younger people because the best things in life are always hard. They're always difficult. And that includes, more important than any, following God. When we do that which is easy and convenient and practical, we should check and make sure what we're doing isn't actually sinfulness because we are making choices that are not consistent with God's expectations. James chapter 4, verse 17. James 4, 17 says, if a person knows to do something that is good and they don't do it, then it's sin. So sin isn't just the don'ts. Sin can involve the do's when we're not doing them. If you know you have the ability to help somebody else and you choose not to help because it's not convenient, or you just don't feel like getting off the couch and helping somebody, or you really don't want to part some of your own resources, sin. What sins could it be? It could be sins of slothfulness, rebellion, stinginess, selfishness. We need to avoid sins that, that are simply matters of choice. We need to, to think of the fact that God God wants us to do what is hard. Hard in life and hard in terms of our society. Take a look at one last passage. Malachi chapter, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, also known as Malachi the Italian prophet. Malachi chapter 3. It's a terrible joke. <coughs> Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. And then I'm going to read uh, 318, page 619, page 619. Page 619, it begins by saying, For I am Adonai, I do not change. So you children of Jacob are not consumed. What does he mean by that, first of all? It means that God's love endures. Otherwise, he would have zapped us a long time ago. By the way, one of the great things that has helped me in my life in terms of choosing to follow God and doing what is hard is yirat the fear of God. Not fear as in afraid, although sometimes that's helpful, but it's the respect of God, the respect for God. 
God is a, is a great and awesome king. And he's a consuming fire, as it talks about in the book of Hebrews. But that, that is a tremendous help for me. Hope for you too. Verse 7, it says, From the days of your ancestors you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says Adonai, Tzavaot. So there he says, I'm not going to consume you because I don't change. But then in verse 7, he basically speaks about the fact that the people have not obeyed God. They have not followed his instructions. It begins by saying, what are the things that bother him? has to do with the way that people are using their resources. And later on in the chapter, it has to do with the fact that the people are not being faithful in their service. How are you using your resources for the Lord? And not just your money. Think about holistically your life, your abilities, your gifts, your time. How are you using them for God? Your ability to speak. How are you using them for the Lord your God? You know, if you have the ability to do good to someone and you don't do it, it is sin. You're withholding from service for something God would want you to do. Have you ever considered that withholding your abilities, it could be sinful? In this context, he talks about shuv, you know, to turn. Return to me and I will return. Turning in Hebrew literally means to stop going this way and to do shuvah, to go the other way. You know, to change one's mind, to change one's way. I have to say, you know, the hardest part that I find as a rabbi, and I've been doing this work over 30 years now, is to see so few people change. I've known some of you a long time. And I know that some of you talk about wanting to change, but you just don't. There are several young men that you guys don't even know that I work with and encourage. One of them, I remember when he was your guys' age, and I would talk to him about God and challenge him about faith, son of a rabbi, dealing drugs and acting like a real wicked dude. And and I said to him one day, you know, God's going to need to get your attention. What are you going to do? He's going to have to break your neck to get your attention. And one day, he broke his neck got drunk and ran off a freeway embankment and broke his neck, could have died. Angel of the Lord himself, I think, saved him from bleeding out. Spent a long time in the hospital. I remember saying to him when he was in the hospital, I said, so, has God got your attention? And he became a believer, and he changed. Is God going to have to break your neck? What will it take for you to change? Two people died recently. They committed suicide. One, uh, a kid uh, who passed away probably about six, seven months ago. Another one who died like two, three weeks ago. People I've worked with. I remember saying to them, what will it take for you to change? And they didn't give me an answer. What will it take for you to change? Do you know tshuva, repentance, This whole thing I'm talking about. We need to recognize our capacity for sinfulness and recognize that our choices are often not good because they're self-serving and they're self-absorbed and they're godless. And what God says is, I got a better way. 
will you choose to humble yourself, admit your sin, and choose to walk my way? My way's hard. My, my way will cost you everything. My way leads to life. Your way is going to kill you. Physically, you'll die. Maybe you'll commit suicide. Maybe you'll die in an auto accident because you were drunk. Maybe you'll die of old age after a long life. But you're eventually going to die. You'll be in hell, separated from God forever. Choose this day. Great passage, right, Howard? Choose this day. The Lord your God wants to, to make of your life something meaningful. But you have to choose. And it begins with confessing, admitting your sinfulness. Think of that passage in Luke, where we read it a couple of weeks ago, where the demons are cast out of a guy and the house is swept and cleaned, but nothing fills it. So the demons come back and they do a whole lot more damage than before. God says, turn from your sin, renounce your sin, admit your sin. Don't be like the dogs who are just acting ashamed, but actually turn and change and replace. Remember, if you renounce something, you need to replace it with something. A good friend of mine years ago who gave up drugs and uh, he actually replaced it with religion, not, not real genuine faith. It's not good enough. You've got to replace the sin with a genuine relationship with God. That comes by admitting your sin, and as we'll talk about next week in the next couple of sermons, replacing it with that relationship with God, which can only be found through accepting Yeshua's atonement. If you are here and you're a believer, and you are a believer, you recognize and you believe in Yeshua's atonement, but you are burdened by sinfulness. Admit your sin and determine the change. You must renounce sin and replace it with something. Otherwise, you're never going to break the cycle of whatever it is. You've got to be willing to change. If you're here and you're not a believer in Yeshua, you've never truly accepted and admitted your need for salvation, for relationship with God through faith in Yeshua's atonement, now is the time to believe. We're coming into the holidays. Time to reflect on the tremendous gift of atonement that God has provided for those who will believe. What do you need to renounce? What do you need to renounce? What sin in your life do you need to renounce? But how will you replace it? How will you replace it? Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. God, it's hard to want to change. We get so complacent and comfortable. Except for often we're floating on a boat heading toward a waterfall that'll kill us. God, help us to recognize your love by accepting the change. Help us to renounce what is sinful, whether it's big or little. Help us to renounce what is sinful so that we can replace it with what is wonderful in your scriptures and in our relationship with you. Save us, God, so that we might be saved to do good works for your glory. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.